0: Spooky listeners, I'm Lauren,
1: and I'm Dallas,
0: and welcome to
1: Spooky Talk. Talk,
0: a podcast about true crime, paranormal activity, and anything that is just downright spooky. Welcome back to Spooky Talk, and guess what? Dallas is back with us today.
1: Oh, yeah, thank you, thank you for the applause.
0: Yes, he's feeling better, so let's just go ahead and get right into it. Um, today we're going to be talking about a woman named Tammy Gardner, and I got this from either like Evil Lives Here or one of any of those ID shows. Um, I'll put the TV show and the episode in the uh, in the show notes, so that way if you want to go watch it, you can. Um, so let's just go ahead and get right into it.
1: Warning, the following episode contains cuss words, domestic violence. Murder, stalking, drug and alcohol abuse, and graphic dialogue. Listener discretion is advised.
0: He's so nice. He calls me to check up on me to make sure I'm alright. Oh, let me ask him if I can go. Well, he doesn't like me to go anywhere without him. When does it go from concern to controlling? Maybe he just really loves you. But don't forget that there is a fine line between love and obsession. I love you to death. Yep, unfortunately, sometimes that's true. (laughs) Tammy Gardner just embodied the role of mother. She was beautiful, devoted, responsible, and just the light in the world. She had a simple, but at the same time complicated childhood and family structure. Tammy had four half-siblings, two stepsisters from her father's side. She also had a younger brother named Patrick who went by PJ. Half and step did not matter in this family. There was enough love to go around, and family is family. Dallas and I both have a half-sibling, but we don't don't say, like, that's my half-brother or half-sister. We say, that's my sister, that's my brother. So I totally agree with their family dynamic. But tragedy stuck the family hard when their mother died of liver disease when Tammy was 12. Their lives only got harder when her father fell ill as well. Struggling to take care of her father and siblings, Tammy dropped out of high school to go to work. She took care of buying groceries, taking care of the house, and just really stepped into the role of basically what a mother would do. Unfortunately, Tammy's father passed away when she turned 18, and she had to grow up even more because she became the legal guardian for PJ, who was only 14. By 1986, the cute young blonde caught the eye of Scott Gardner. When he met her, it was fireworks. He went to work the next day and was telling everybody that he met the woman that he would spend the rest of his life with. He loved her so much and thought that she was the most beautiful creature that God had put on this earth. Scott wasted no time, and they were married on October 7th, 1989. I thought that was kind of a cute meat
1: cute Cute-meat?
0: Is that what its Meat is? Meet-cute? Cute-meat? I don't know. Meat cube No.
1: Not not a meat cube?
0: No. (laughs) Meat cute. Is that what they say or is it?
1: Yeah, meat cute. Okay.
0: With both working, they had a comfortable lifestyle. They did what everyone in the 90s did and they bought a recording camera. Tammy recorded everything. She always had the camera in her hand trying to capture every moment. When Tammy became pregnant, she loved to showcase her big belly.
1: That was just like a rite of passage in the nineties. Like you had to buy you had to buy that camcorder and then you always had to have it glued to your face in your hand. We had one
0: and I just always hated like when parents would get together and become all nostalgic, so they want to like watch the videos of you when you were a baby doing like stupid shit. (laughs) We have a few I I might talk about them sometimes, but we have a few good home movies of me voicing my opinion when I'm a child, and (laughs) it's it's bad. Anyways, by 1994, Tammy gave birth to their one and only daughter, Meredith. Scott worshipped her, and Tammy was completely devoted. Meredith was the center of the world and the star of her mother's signature home movies. Christmas time was a particular, very special time for the family. It was Tammy's favorite holiday, and she was over the top like the Griswolds. The videos she took showed a huge, beautiful tree, the house that looks like it belongs in a catalog with perfect decorations, mountains of presents for their daughter were placed underneath, and Scott's parents would come over early with even more presents. Tammy would also cook a huge dinner, and it was always just a great holiday. That sounds so nice. And in the documentary or the show, um, Meredith talks a lot, and she's just really, really pretty. And you can tell that she's still tore up about the whole thing. And Scott's on the show, too, and he's, he's just like that goofy dude, you know? He seems just like a good guy. I like him. Maternity leave is never long enough, and Tammy had to return to work. But with missing her daughter and not really enjoying her job, Tammy decided to open a business. She wanted to run a daycare out of her home. It exploded. Tammy was very organized, and she had a set schedule, a wait list, and a real knack for taking care of children. It gave her the opportunity to be home with her daughter every day and a very steady money flow. In the early 2000s, the gardeners bought their big dream home in Wood Creek, Delaware, It was spacious for Tammy's daycare, and Scott knew that it would be their forever home. Meredith even got her own bright pink bedroom. When Scott's parents retired, they moved to a condo in Florida. There were two swimming pools, a golf course, walking and hiking trails, and restaurants close by. The family would visit every year for vacation. Meredith took advantage of the swimming pools. And Scott talks of having many good memories of watching his wife and daughter in the pool and enjoying the Florida sun. By 2001, the family was happy. They were the American dream with a family, a house, and a minivan. Scott could have never predicted the unforeseen circumstances that would shake his life in ways that no one could imagine. So, Dallas, what do you think Um, these unforeseen circumstances are that's going to ruin his life.
1: He finds out what strippers are.
0: I don't know. Let's find out. With running a daycare out of her home, Tammy started to become a little stir-crazy. She is always home, and she had to grow up early, becoming wife and mother young. Tammy felt like she missed out on a lot of social moments. She felt like... She missed out on sowing her wild oats. Scott also worked 10-12 to hour days, and Tammy felt alone. Tammy's sisters felt the same. The girls wanted to go out dancing, sing karaoke, and have a few drinks. It started out as one day a month. It was Thursday, but it quickly turned to Thursday and Saturday. Tammy herself began to change. The way she dressed was much edgier. Her demeanor changed as well. She was almost a completely different person. And my mom always told me. Kind of. Like even when I was little. To like. You know don't get married. And have babies right away. She said you know go out. And have some fun first. So that way. You know you're not. Leaving the baby with. Grandma and grandpa all the time. And going out and staying out for days. Not that that's what she's doing. I'm just saying like. Have fun first. The outings didn't just stay as her and her sisters. Tammy met a man named Clifford Wright. He was loud and exciting. He liked motorcycles and was a little rough around the edges. He also had the reputation of being a bad boy. Cliff became a regular with Tammy at the Goodshot Bar, and Tammy had become good friends with Rose, who not only bartended, but was the owner. Every Thursday and Saturday, it was always Cliff and Tammy. Scott finally got to know about Cliff at Christmas of 2003. Tammy invited him over. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, Tammy, what the fuck are you doing?
1: <laughs> Don't invite your bar friend over.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Our cats are messing with a soda box. Are you. He was dressed in all black with cowboy boots and a long leather trench coat. She was very spooked seeing him at the table eating dinner with them. Cliff told Scott that he was protecting the women and that he would take care of Tammy so she could party safely. Scott said he liked that there was a male there and he didn't even suspect anything more than a friendship was happening. Scotty doesn't know. That Tammy and me, do it in my van every Sunday. Not long after Christmas, though, Scott noticed that something clicked in his wife's brain. She wanted different things than what she had. Cliff was the exact opposite of Scott, and Tammy was always with him. Her outings were more often, and she would stay out all night. The marriage really began to struggle because Scott was not happy with her new habits. He was the one putting Meredith to bed, and he would like his wife to stay home with him more often. This caused many fights between the couple. Scott never got physical, but one night did end with Tammy calling 911. What had sparked the argument was that Tammy was out with Meredith, and the opportunity to spend time with Cliff came up. Tammy went home to drop off her daughter to have Scott watch her, and she was going to leave. But Scott reached his breaking point and said she wasn't going to go scuttlebutt around town with Cliff. So she is out with her daughter, probably running errands or doing shopping or whatever. And then Cliff is like, hey, let's go hang out.
1: Let's go. Let's go do some scuttlebutting.
0: Yeah, let's (laughs) let's go do some scuttlebutting around town and just have some fun. And she's like, "Okay." so she's going to take her daughter home, be like, here, Scott, watch her. I'm going to go hang out with Cliff. Like, no, that that's not going to fly. When the police arrived, they could tell it was a domestic dispute, but no real signs of abuse. Tammy was confused on why the police were not arresting her husband. The police told her that she had to feel threatened, and suddenly she did. When the words, I feel threatened, came out of Tammy's mouth, Scott knew that they were done. He had to move in with his parents and could have absolutely no contact with her. He couldn't even see his daughter until after the court hearings. Six months later, the two were finalizing their divorce. So what do you think is going to happen now that Scott's out of the house?
1: Well, probably more scuttlebutting.
0: Definitely more scuttlebutting. Meredith said that quickly after her dad moved out, Cliff moved in. Huh. Weird. It was obvious that him and her mom were a couple, even though her mom tried to downplay it. Cliff instantly stepped in as the man of the house. And things weren't bad at the start. Tammy's world shattered in 2004 when Cliff was arrested. He had stolen some jewelry from his sister-in-law and was sentenced to 12 months in prison. Tammy was completely devastated and became very depressed. But with Cliff in prison, her relationship with Scott greatly improved. They could talk and have civil conversations, and they were also co-parenting beautifully. Scott said that Tammy was beginning to act like herself again. Once Cliff's year was up, he went straight to Tammy's house. Her and Meredith were happy, and he was back in their lives again. Our cat has the zoomies. But not long after his release, little red flags began to pop up, and Tammy would become a different person again. He told Tammy that she couldn't talk to Scott at all. And any discussion about Meredith had to be passed on by him. And that really bothers me that he's like, this is how it has to be. Because Meredith isn't his kid. So he shouldn't really have any kind of like, oh, no, like it needs to go through me. I need to okay this because he's not her dad. She has a good dad that's in her life. And I don't know. It's Just it's the controlling and the isolation, things like that. Word got around that Cliff was a criminal and living in the house. In the state of Delaware, it is illegal to have a convict and a daycare under the same roof. Tammy had to make a choice, kick Cliff out or close the daycare. Tammy closed her successful business because she couldn't bring herself to tell Cliff to kick rocks. Others noticed a difference in Tammy. She was quiet and she would often have fresh bruises. She would also be seen at the grocery store with a black eye. She would kick him out, but within a day or two, he would be right back in. One afternoon, he had called Meredith at school to tell her that her mom had an accident and was in the hospital. What she found out when she got to the hospital was that Cliff had beat her mom so bad that she had jumped out of the moving car to get away from him. The relationship was toxic, and all Tammy and Cliff did was fight. They were constantly on and off again, Cliff couldn't hold a job, and money was always their main subject of every altercation. He sounds like a fucking winner, huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So in 2006, Tammy kicked out Cliff for good and was ready to move forward with her life without him. When her and Meredith attended a friend's 4th of July party, she met 42-year-old Gabriel... It says Gabriel Gabriel, doesn't it?
1: Gabrielli? Gabrielle Gabrielli or something like that.
0: You're the one who wrote this? I know. And you don't even know what you wrote. No. <laughs> okay, so when her when her and Meredith attended a friend's 4th of July party, she met 42-year-old Gabriel Gabriel. He was the tall, dark and handsome type with thick curly hair. He was the father of five and really acted like a big kid himself. He was a musician and spoke English and Spanish. Him and Tammy just instantly clicked. Unannounced to Tammy, Gabe had a bit of a dark past. He had a problem with being addicted to drugs and alcohol.
1: Well, his name is Gabriel Gabriel. So like, who would...
0: Ga- Gabriel Gabriel?
1: Gabriel Gabriel?
0: G- Gabriel. It looks like... That's what it looks like, but I don't think Gabriel, that's the way it's...
1: Gabriel Gabriel?
0: I don't think that's the way it's pronounced. I think it's like Gabrielli or something, but I I had it. I just.
1: It's like Sean Sheen?
0: Yeah. I don't know. Probably not at all, but. (laughs) His ex-wife had to have the police forcibly remove him from the house because his addition. (laughs) Oh, my God. I need, I need like a proofread.
1: Yeah, you do. His addition. His addiction was just so bad that she she was like, get him out of my house now.
0: Oh, shit. His addiction had gotten from bad to worse, but Gabe loved his kids and was trying to do better. He asked Tammy on a date, and she accepted. I promise I'm going to try to do better, too. When Tammy and Gabe met at the Good Shot bar for a drink, Cliff began to blow up Tammy's phone. She was letting the calls go to voicemail. And that just upset Cliff even more. He called her 43 times in one hour. Dude, chill. <laughs> he
1: he, he got to get those numbers up. I mean, there's 60 minutes an hour. So he's missing a good chunk of that hour. There. So
0: he's like calling and hanging up, calling and hanging up, calling and ha- like over and over and over again. And I'm like, dude, she's not going to answer the first 40 times. What makes what makes you think calling her three more is going to do anything? (sighs) He left threatening messages telling her that he was watching her and the police did arrest Cliff for harassment, but it was a misdemeanor and it only pissed him off even more. So, you know, what does an abuser do when they lose control? They get all like drama llama about it, you know, so he's definitely having like a drama llama meltdown right now. Because she moved on and she doesn't need him. And that's just... He just doesn't know why she's not, like, dying without him. Scott was going to drop Meredith off at Tammy's house the next morning. And he saw that Cliff's van was in the neighborhood. Cliff spotted Scott and started to flag him down. Scott was shocked when Cliff just went off and started insulting Tammy horribly. He said that she was a drunk and irrational... There was no real purpose of his attempt at conversation except to try and degrade Tammy. Scott called his ex-wife to warn her that Cliff was close by. Tammy quickly locked all the doors and kept the house phone with her. Meredith said that she had never seen her mom more scared. Tammy was always looking over her shoulder and she felt completely helpless. Despite Cliff calling her all hours of the day and night, Tammy and Gabe still wanted to live their lives. They invited their friend Kelly to join them at Rose's Bar, The Good Shots. They stayed out into the early hours, and when Kelly got home around 1.45, she called Tammy to let her know that she made it safely. They said their goodnights and went to bed. It was July 8th of 2006 when Meredith woke up early and starts her day at her dad's house like she does any other day. The first thing she likes to do when she wakes up is call her mom. It was 9 a.m. and her mom didn't answer. Meredith thought it was weird, but figured she would try again in a couple of hours. Still no answer. It wasn't until the afternoon of silence on Tammy's end that made Scott and his daughter start to panic. It was very out of character for Tammy not to answer her phone, especially when it was Meredith calling. Which is like the exact opposite of me. Like, I'll see my phone ringing and I'll just let it ring. I kind of just sit there and, like, kind of hold my breath, too, like I'm not there. (laughs) In a desperate attempt to find Tammy, Meredith called Cliff. After he told her that he hadn't spoken to her in a week, Scott knew it was time to pay the house a visit. Upon approaching the house, Scott noticed that the basement window was open. Knowing that it wouldn't be wise for the ex-husband to enter the house, he called Tammy's friend Rose, who was at the house in minutes. Rose squeezed in through the window and became very worried when she reached the kitchen. Tammy's purse was still on the counter, but her minivan was not in the garage. When Rose checked the master bedroom, she discovered large bloodstains all around the bed. She rushed outside and Scott called the police. When investigators entered the house, they noticed that there was a strong smell of bleach and an empty bottle of it in the trash. There were also vacuum marks on the carpet and around the bloodstains. Someone had obviously tried to clean up, but thankfully they were sloppy. There was blood on the walls and the stair railing that wasn't even touched. The police put out a bolo, which is beyond the lookout, for Tammy's minivan and started to track her steps of the last time she was seen or heard from. The Police learned from Rose that both Gabe and Tammy were at the bar together the night before. When they tried to find Gabe to talk to him, they came up empty-handed. Gabe was MIA. They even tried his ex-wife, but she said that she hasn't spoken to him in months. She figured that they were off somewhere to party and were sleeping it off. She said that he would go off on benders, but would always pop back up in a couple of days. When police heard about there being an ex-boyfriend... They were confident that they had three main suspects. Cliff, the ex-boyfriend, Scott, the ex-husband, and Gabe, the current love interest. Sounds like an episode of Law & Order, SVU. One theory was that there were problems between Tammy and Scott, and he killed her in a rage. Plus, the husband usually always did it. But Scott was the one to call in Tammy as a missing person. After an interview, they knew Scott wasn't involved. He said Tammy was the love of his life and was always hoping that they would get back together. With Gabe nowhere to be found, they picked up Cliff. Now, he had a lot to say about Tammy, but none of it was any good. He was quick to say that she was depressed, irrational, and quick to jump to extreme decisions. He said that she drank like a fish and she was so mean to him. He said he was just a loving partner and she chewed him up and spit him out. But he was still worried about her. He did admit that he saw her at the bar the previous night, but he didn't approach her because she was with her new boyfriend, Gabe. And he said it hurt him so much because, you know, he's so gentle that she moved on and he went to crash at his dealer's house, Raheem Cannon's house, by 2 a.m.
1: Yeah, he's he's so gentle, you know, leaving black eyes and stuff.
0: Yeah, he's just a sensitive, gentle lover, and I mean, he's so, so misunderstood. so
1: gentle that she felt like she had to jump out of a moving car to uh, escape him.
0: Yeah, and he said, I don't understand. I was trying to love her, and she was being crazy. Since Cliff was cooperating with them, they said that they would be in touch, and he left. Four days later, on July 13th, a hiker spotted a red minivan while on his walk. After a quick license plate check, it was confirmed that it was Tammy's van. When the detectives approached the vehicle, they were hit with the smell of decomp. They opened up the back door of the van to find the bodies of Tammy and Gabe. They were wrapped in bedding, and both had crushed skulls. There was no defensive wounds on the bodies, so the theory is that they were attacked in their sleep. Both died from blunt force trauma to the head and they thought that the weapon was possibly a hammer.
1: I don't think Gabe did it.
0: I don't think so either. Because, I mean, unless he, like, bashed himself in like, rolled up. Murder Suey. Like, rolled himself up in a, like, a little cocoon blanket, like they're saying, and then, like, somehow bashed his head in. I I don't, I think it's safe to say that he probably didn't do it. (laughs) Upon further inspection of the van, investigators noted some mild fire damage to the front driver's seat. It was clear that someone had tried to start a fire to destroy the evidence. Thankfully, whoever started it didn't leave any windows open for airflow, so the fire didn't last long enough to cause any significant damage. What a rookie. (laughs) That's what I thought, too. I was like, damn.
1: Tell me you don't know how fire works without telling telling me.
0: me. you don't know how fire works. (laughs) I remember, like, when we were, like, I was a kid, I knew, like, Okay, I don't want to say that I was. I'm not saying that I started fires.
1: Fucking pyro.
0: But my friend and I, we. She lived out in the woods and there was a. We decided that we were going to make a little campfire on her porch and it got pretty high before we had to like hurry up and use the hose to put it out.
1: You started the Greendale Fire of 04, didn't you?
0: No. I'm just saying that, you know, I. I was 12 and I knew how fire worked. (laughs) With Gabe no longer a suspect but a victim, they went to check Cliff's alibi. Raheem and his girlfriend both came in for an interview and both were certain that Cliff was not there at 2 a.m. They said he didn't even show up to the house until 7 a.m. When Cliff came down for a second interview, the police were ready. They had all their little duckies in a row. They started out with basic questions, and Cliff went straight into trash-talking Tammy again. He said that seeing her at the bar with someone else made him leave. The investigator stopped Cliff and told him that his cell phone pinged in the area where they found Tammy's van. His cell phone was also tracked to Tammy's house, and they asked him if he knew that his buddy Raheem had rolled over on him and that he didn't show up at the house until 7. Cliff remained silent for a moment and asked for a lawyer. It's probably like the first smart thing he's done. They placed Cliff under arrest for slinging cocaine to hold him while they built their case for Tammy and Gabe's murders. The investigators got basically a golden ticket from Cliff himself. While serving his 18 months, he became friendly with his cellmate, Robert Mann. He shared many details with him that were kept close to the chest and away from the media. He explained how he broke into Tammy's house through the window while they were both asleep. He also said that his weapon of choice that he brought with him was a metal baseball bat. He said that he had bashed both their heads in with it. Armed with this knowledge, Cliff was officially charged with two counts of first-degree murder by 2008. On October 5th of 2009, Cliff's trial begins. His defense was it wasn't him. He was a gentle lover, and Tammy was a drunk. Robert Mann gave his testimony, and it was clear that it was Cliff, and he was unremorseful. The jury voted guilty, and Cliff was sentenced to two life sentences plus 147 years for the brutality of his crimes. He will die in prison, and that's exactly where he belongs. Tammy and Gabe's murders still affect their families' lives today. These senseless murders were done by a jealous man that wanted complete control. The most dangerous part of an abusive relationship is when you leave. Tammy and Gabe were the unfortunate victims of domestic violence. And abuse is never okay. Love is respect. So I will put down um, in the show notes the domestic abuse hotline. Um, So that way if anybody feels like they need it, it is there. Also, Dr. Phil and his wife, Robin, have some kind of like domestic abuse app where uh, it's for people that are trying to leave a situation because that's always when it's the most dangerous. Um, So that's definitely something to look into. I'll put that in the notes, too. I hope your Christmas was amazing. I know mine was. I got Dallas a man crate that has all sorts of bacon goodies in it. They were good. And uh, he got me a shark blanket. that You've probably seen it on TikTok. And I cannot wait to have some epic nap time in that because it is so soft and warm. And I think I'm going to sleep like comatose. I always, whenever I play a nap roulette, it could either be like three hours or nine hours. It's risky and I like it.
1: You you just live life on the edge, aren't you?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I probably... I sleep so much, it's ridiculous. Like, I seriously think it's a problem. I might have, like, narcolepsy or something because we'll be sitting up watching TV and he'll look over at me and say that I'm nodding out like a damn heroin addict. Because <laughs> my head will kind of drop and I'll jerk it back up and I'll just kind of... I'll just keep doing that and I just... It's hard for me to stay awake sometimes. <laughs> Especially at the movie theater, when we went to go see a movie, like, I was having a hard time staying awake. What was the last movie we saw? Was it Mario? Or did we see something after that?
1: It was the uh, Five Nights at Freddy's.
0: Oh, yeah, Five Nights at Freddy's. I had a hard time staying awake through some of it, because it it was a little slow in some parts, and a lot of it was dialogue, which was needed to, you know, kind of set up the story and explain what was going on. And if you know kind of the lore behind it, you find those little Easter eggs. But there's a couple parts where I was just like, oh, man, I feel like I'm dozing off here. <laughs> That's right. We saw Five Nights at Freddy's. It was okay. I liked it. It was good. Yeah. It was spooky.
1: They, definitely spooky. Like the spooky.
0: They definitely made uh, the things look very, uh, the animatronics very uh, ominous, especially like with the red glowing eyes.
1: It made me think of that uh, lost films, the Walton Files.
0: Yeah, there was a story that Dallas had us listen to, where it was like these people were playing this game, but then they got like what happened, like the animatronics came to life, and
1: no, so it's uh, analog horror. I love analog horror, like the it's almost like they went and found some old VHS tapes and stuff like that. But uh, it's a place called Bonds Burgers, which is kind of like the Five Nights. Freddy's Fosbears yeah. Pizzeria, and I think this is where they got the idea from. But there was two uh, owners that opened up the restaurant, and they had animatronics and stuff. And one of the owners stopped appearing in pictures, and it was like a uh, employee training video. Like a set of employee training videos that you watched through, and
0: oh my god, that's like almost exactly like Five Nights. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely got a lot
1: of their uh, in, uh, inspiration from it. But right.
0: it was it was scary though. Like it creeped me out. A lot of these stories that he plays for me creeps me out. Like he started playing for me one day, uh, dark web videos of like people's experiences on the dark web and shit. And it's scary like I that kind of crap scares me because I'm always afraid like I am going to have a little piece of tape over the webcam on this computer because I am that paranoid that somebody is fucking watching my everyday day to day when I'm in my gross clothes and my unruly hair is up in a bun and I look like I haven't slept in fucking five days because I always have these huge bags under my eyes regardless that I sleep like
1: Got the che- got the Cheeto stains going.
0: Yeah, the Cheeto stains on the shirt. And I know somebody's like sitting there watching me, <laughs> <laughs> wondering what the fuck is she even trying. Like, you tried, and that's great, but it's not working. <laughs> 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 like, I know that somebody is just watching me, like, eating Cheetos, saying, wow, this girl's a shit show. <laughs> How does that dude live with her?
1: <laughs> Next
0: yep next
1: (laughs) let's see what other webcams we can find here
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's bad like i'm i'm always so paranoid like everything on my phone location is turned off like i don't like i i don't have facebook anymore still but like if i go somewhere i wait until like two weeks after i'm back before i'll post pictures of it so that way i could be like oh it was great so glad to be back home now for a long time
1: But you still don't know about that tracker in your truck.
0: Don't joke with me like that. Because now, like, I'm going to be outside tonight with a flashlight, like, checking over every single inch of that vehicle. Scanning it. Thinking that there's some, like, tracker on it, and the neighbor's going to think I'm tweaking or something. (laughs) Because I'm going to be out there on my hands and knees. Alrighty. Well, we hope your Christmas was amazing. I hope that. You didn't get too wrapped up in the hustle and bustle and the stress of it and that everything went great. Um, I also hope that you have a fabulous and safe new year.
1: Definitely be safe.
0: Be safe. We might be going to a friend's house for New Year's. It's a hit or miss with that. Because usually what we do for New Year's is we're in bed by 930 and asleep by 10. I don't think I've stayed up until midnight for, what, like three or four years now? Yes, usually usually yeah it just when i was a kid it was fun but being an adult it just doesn't have the thrill of it and i don't drink so it's a very rare rare occasion where i'll have a glass of wine or something but i mean i'm not who's that guy um every year he gets like sloshed on tv
1: andy cohen
0: yeah i wish i could live my life like him for (laughs) one day (laughs) Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't get like that anymore, so I don't really see the point of staying up late, and I got a lot of stuff to do in the morning, so I like to kind of be in bed
1: by nine. <laughs> We're old. I'll probably see it, because, uh, I'm a night owl now.
0: Yeah, he's working nights, so he sleeps all day and is awake all night, but he doesn't get much sleep during the day, because it bugs me that he's sleeping, even though it's his schedule, so I wake him up, like, every 30 minutes. With...
1: Do you love me? You
0: love me? <laughs> so he said he's probably going to love smothering me so he can finally get some goddamn sleep. But I don't know. Like, he's just laying there sleeping and all I want to do is just poke his nose. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, hopefully uh, he got to know us a little bit better. We were a little chattier tonight. Um, Like I said, I will list all of those. Uh, domestic violence helplines in the show notes um and also so in the meantime visit us at instagram at spooky.pod
1: oh. <laughs>
0: holy okay visit us on instagram at spooky.talk.podcast gotta have the dots in there um go ahead and give us a like and a follow that or if you want to chat that's great too i will put pictures of the people up on the instagram so you can see what they look like we also have an email account at spooky podcast spooky talk podcast spooky talk podcast at gmail.com i can't talk we also have a venmo as spooky talk podcast and um Go ahead and email us with any questions, concerns, comments, or if you have any case suggestions of things that you would like to hear, true crime or not, go ahead and send me an email, and I will look into that for you. Do you have anything to add, Dallas? I don't. All righty.
1: Stay, so, stay cool, all you spooky cats out there. <laughs> hey, all you cool. Ow!
0: That's my back, kitty. Oh, All right, kitty's getting mean, so we're going to go ahead and go. Until next time, stay spooky.
1: Bye. Bye.